0: We're reading this evening from Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, which is found on page 567 in the Church Bible. (coughs) Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mitzah. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and beakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked." You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O oh God, my God, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God.
1: Well, as we come to look at these um, words together, let's uh, pray for, for God's help uh, to, to understand them. Let's Let's pray. Father God, as we come to this uh, subject this evening, we acknowledge that it is a very real and personal subject, that there'll be many here this evening who may be experiencing depression themselves or uh, are caring for those who are suffering from it. Father God, we thank you that you are not uh, a distant God. You are a God who made us, who knows us and understands us and cares for us. So we pray this evening you would help us to to hear from you, help us to hear what we need to hear in order to understand ourselves better and to understand you as the God who made us. Lord, come to us this evening, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Ed Welch um, begins this uh, little booklet on hope for the depressed with these words. He says, never has so much been crammed into one word. Depression feels terrifying. Your world is dark, heavy, painful. Some days you think the physical pain might be easier to endure. At least the pain will be localized. Instead, depression goes to your very soul corrupting everything in its path dead but walking is one way to describe it you feel numb but you still remember when you actually felt something and somehow that makes it harder to bear so many things about your life are difficult right now things you used to take for granted a good night's sleep having goals looking forward to the future now seem beyond your reach your relationships are also affected The people who love you are looking for some emotional response from you, but you feel empty. Sometimes you are cranky and doubt their love, and then relationships are even more strained. As I said earlier, depression is one of the the major health challenges of um, our generation. Um, One of the most common reasons for going to see the doctor and it's estimated that at least 15% of people in the UK will have at least one major depression in their, their lifetimes. Ultimately, it's an illness, um, an illness of the mind. And we shouldn't, therefore, treat those with depression differently from those suffering from a physical illness. And yet we do, um, partly because we can't see anything wrong with a person, Uh, Partly because there is still a bit of a stigma attached to to mental health. And partly because those suffering often don't really want to or feel able to share what they're going through. And therefore may often pretend that things are okay. We also need to be careful that we don't put those with depression somehow into a little box separate from the rest of us. You know, We are all made with emotions. Uh, We will all feel down at times. So we are on a bit of a spectrum. There are those at one end who are definitely depressed; those at the other end who are definitely not depressed. But um, we move along that spectrum. Um, we move backwards and forwards. And, and at some point, you know, a doctor has to determine whether somebody is depressed at that point in time. But wherever we may be, that we shouldn't feel that somehow um, it won't happen to us. Even if we don't have any genetic disposition towards it, there are situations, there are events in life that can trigger it. And I should say from the outset that I don't claim to be a a medical expert on on depression. I don't also speak from any personal experience uh, myself as a sufferer of depression. So I don't want to treat this whole subject simplistically. But on the other hand, I do believe that God does understand depression, that he made us. He knows how we function or how we, we malfunction, if you like. And so we should be careful not to dismiss quickly what the Bible has to say about this subject, even if it's not written as a as a medical journal. The Bible has a lot to say to us about all sorts of everyday issues, and depression is one of those. What I'd also like to see, to see in the church is that people feel more able to, to be open and to share about their struggles without a fear of somehow being judged so that they can be supported in prayer. We're going to have a look at this subject this evening through these two psalms, because um, many of the psalms contain the honest thoughts and emotions of those who are going through depression and tough times in general. And therefore, as I'm sure many of you who have been through depression uh, or anxiety yourselves may, may testify, they can enable us to communicate with God when we, we can't find the words we, we want to say. Um, we don't know what to say. So the psalms we're looking at are Psalm 42 and 43, which are have read for us. They're commonly believed to, to have been originally one psalm. And I hope as we look at these two psalms this evening, we will understand better the whole condition of depression, uh, how we can help ourselves if we, if we are prone to it, but also how we are able to help others if we know they are suffering from it themselves. There's a lot of general lessons for, for all of us from this, um, in terms of how we relate to God, uh, and how we can respond to, to God in, term, in, term, in general times of trouble. Um, so there's a lot of things we can take away from this this evening. So let's uh, have a look first of all at um, how the psalm might help us understand depression. The first common thing that people who have had depression will say is that it leaves you feeling isolated. In this um, book, uh, written by Sarah Collins and um, Jane Haynes, they share some stories of um, those who have uh, had experiences of it. Um, Anne, a 21-year-old student, says this. She says, in my experience, depression is a bit like walls closing in. So it's difficult to see beyond the perceived walls to the realities and people around you. Losing perspective like that means relational and practical things become stressful. And this can build up to become extremely disabling and confusing. At one point I was in such despair that I was shut down completely if asked to do anything but sit in my room. Someone else described it like living in a glass box. Uh, She says, I could see out but nobody could touch me and I didn't want to touch them. And the thing about isolation is if you're a Christian, it can also make you feel isolated from God or abandoned by God. In verse 2 of this psalm, the psalmist says, when can I go and meet with God? People are saying to him in verse 3, where is your God? And that only makes him feel, yeah, where is my God? Where is he at this time? And he says to God in verse 9, why have you forgotten me? In verse two of Psalm 43, why have you rejected me? Now I'm sure we have all experienced feelings of rejection at some time or another. It may be uh, at a simple level, not being chosen for the, the sports team. Uh, Maybe not being selected for, for university or getting the job we want. Um, it may be being turned down by someone we uh, we fancied. But it can actually be much worse than that, can't it? You know, if, if there's a feeling of rejection through divorce or rejection by family or close friends, that hits us hard. However you may have experienced it, the danger is when that then leads to the feeling of worthlessness. You may have had that feeling yourself. You may have even caused that feeling in someone else without even realizing it. But one thing about these psalms... Um, that it shows us is if you suffer from depression, it doesn't mean you can't be a Christian. Many well-known Christians have suffered from depression throughout history. Uh, these are a few of them. This one is Martin Luther, uh, founder of the Reformation, if you like, um, in the 16th century. Uh, William uh, Cowper, uh, an 18th century poet and hymn writer. Here we have the great um, preacher of the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon. And also C.S. Lewis, a great uh, writer of the 20th century. All people who've suffered with depression. In the Bible, there are a lot of characters who have suffered from depression. Elijah, Job, Moses, David, all uh, who have uh, suffered in this way, but it hasn't stopped them believing in God. The psalmist here is somebody who knows God, who has had an intimate relationship with God. But at this present time, he feels that God is remote from him. And he longs for God to be close to him. And so it says in this psalm, um, he, he uses the strong language of thirst, which we can all understand. Uh, our mouths might start to feel dry as we read these words, where he says in verse 1, As the deer pants for water, for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. To thirst for God is to have a, a spiritual need for God that is as desperate as somebody who needs water to quench their physical first. And the dilemma that the psalmist is in is that he knows he needs God and yet he feels far from him. It's a feeling of isolation. But secondly, a feeling of powerlessness. The psalm starts with this image of water as, uh, as life, but later it's described as something that is roaring and overpowering. Look at verse seven. If you've got a Bible there handy, it says, "My, it says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me." Now the images of the hurricanes, the sheer Harvey and Irma and Maria, um, that cause great tidal surges, have left us in no doubt about the power of water. If you've ever um, done any water sports, whether it's uh, surfing or canoeing or rafting, um, you may have experienced that feeling of yourself of being pushed under and struggling to get back to the surface. And it's a horrible feeling. You know, you're struggling against this force uh, that wants to hold you down. Jane, aged 55 in this book, who writes, she's a pastor's wife, a mother, a teacher. And she says, depression and fear came very unexpectedly, like a thief in the night, stripping me bare. For me, depression was in a different league to, my, to any pain that I had previously known. I felt that I was being asked to endure something beyond my capability. I just didn't know how long I could keep going. And losing my mind, I felt I'd lost absolutely everything. It was so bad that I was convinced I was beyond healing. Death seemed like the only way out repeatedly asked Jesus to take me I had to dig very very deep within my soul to find the courage to keep going a courage that I didn't know I had now whether or not the psalmist could do anything about his situation the problem is that he feels that he cannot do anything he feels powerless to stop the waves and is tempted to simply let himself go under and so he says to God in verse seven, nine, "Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy?" And again, for the Christian, uh, he or she may feel that God is powerless to, to do anything about their situation. They may forget that God is still in control and promises to work good for those who trust in Him. A feeling of powerlessness. thirdly, an unhealthy self-obsession. As Christians, we're, we're called to, to examine ourselves, to continually uh, check how we're doing spiritually, um, to guard against complacency, and um, be aware of areas of weaknesses where we may be prone to temptation, be aware of our pride. But there comes a point where that, that um, self-examination becomes an unhealthy self-obsession. We are, again, by nature, somewhere along the spectrum of, of introvert or extrovert, um, But even somebody who's naturally an extrovert can, as a result of depression, become quite introverted, can become quite anxious about social interaction, and quite sensitive to how they're viewed by others. In these psalms, the words I, me, or my are used 50 times in 16 verses. Self-obsession can lead to a loss of perspective as you start to to overanalyze everything. At one level, it's useful to understand yourself, uh, to understand the influences over the course of your life that have contributed to making you the person you are. In the case of depression, the triggers that that might have started that off. But there comes a point where we have to move on and not carry around the hurt or the blame or the guilt or any other emotional baggage that will weigh us down. And the main refrain in verse 5 and verse 11 in this uh, psalm, we see the psalmist is divided in himself. There's a conversation going on between him and his soul, his inner self. Have a look there at verse 5. He says, Why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And whether or not we have suffered from depression, I'm sure we will all have known the voice of the, the inner self. As Martin uh, Lloyd Jones says in his book on spiritual depression, he says, "Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you, they bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. And sometimes that inner self may make us question our value. Our worth, they may say to us, you're not really good enough, you're not clever enough to do that, you're not attractive enough. And the reason why that self-obsession is not healthy is because the more we are wrapped up in ourselves and listen to that inner voice, the less we focus on on God. And often the, the reason why we feel God is remote is not because he distances himself from us, but we've become so self-obsessed that God doesn't get a look in we forget that God loves us. and accepts us just as we are. Well, having tried to understand a little bit more about what depression might look like, let's move on to some possible ways of dealing with it that come out from these psalms. The first of those is pour out your heart to God. We've said that the depressed person often feels abandoned by God, quite angry at God sometimes. Um, And the encouraging thing is that God already knows that. So there's no point trying to hide it. You know, let it out. Shout to God if you need to. But going back to, to verse 7, the worst thing about the way that the psalmist describes the trials in his life, that the waterfalls, the waves, the breakers, are that he says to God, these are your waterfalls. These are your waves and breakers. In other words, whether or not you've sent them, you have control over them. You could stop them if you wanted to. And if you feel isolated, if you feel... You cannot go on. Tell God. If your feelings don't make sense to you, tell God. Jane, that pastor's wife I mentioned earlier, she carried on, um, talking about her own testimony. She said, during that time, I never lost faith, I never lost my faith in God, but how I questioned him. What was he doing to me? I felt this keenly since prayer, my own and others for me didn't appear to help. Sometimes all I could do was repeat the Lord's Prayer over and over again in my head and out loud. I pleaded with God to heal me, and I know he heard my cries. God knows that we are weak. In Psalm 103 it says he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are but dust. And so his his response when we pour out our hearts to him is understanding, is compassion. Pour out your heart to God. Secondly, cling on to the promises of God's love. A positive thing in these psalms is that the psalmist doesn't go from complaining to God to, if you've allowed these things to happen to me, it means you can't love me. No, he moves from there to clinging on to God's love. Have a look at verse 8. It says, by day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He's saying, by day and night, you still love me. You have control over my life. You will direct it according to your love. And that is something we have to cling on to, even if even if it's hard, even when we can't understand why God should allow these things to happen to us in our life. And to reassure ourselves that he still loves us, um, it means not letting go of it. You know, the words on the wall that we read in the concourse every time we we come into the church come from the letter of John. And they remind us of that fact. It says, God showed his love for us when he sent his only son into the world to give us life. Jesus came into this messy world, this broken world. And he came in to make it possible for us to be right with God. He came in to give us the possibility of eternal life by, by taking that punishment that we deserve for all the things we've done to reject God. That was the greatest demonstration of love. And every time we think of that cross, we are reminded of God's love for us. We may not feel it when we're depressed, but it's a truth we can cling on to. Another way to cling on to the love of God is to remember moments of intimacy with God. Have a look at verse four. It says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. We shouldn't underestimate the importance of coming together, um, to church with other, with other Christians, uh, having corporate worship together. Yes, all of life is worship in one sense, uh, but we are called to meet with God's people and offer our sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving, to hear him speak to us, to receive nourishment for our souls. We don't just come here to sing a few songs or to listen to, to a talk. We come to meet with God. It's a spiritual experience. When can I go and meet with God, the psalmist says. He's saying, I used to do that a lot. And now I miss it. And if you feel you you have a faith, but you're currently backsliding, you know you're not sure where you're at. Hold on to those memories of of moments of intimacy with God. Hopefully, if you've been baptised, that was one of those. Um, baptism is, is not just about having a dunking in a in a pool of water; it's a spiritual encounter with God. Communion is more than just a, a morsel of bread and a sip of grape juice; it's a, it's an encounter with God. Remember those times when God has answered your prayers, when he's given you strength to cope with really difficult situations. A couple of weeks ago on Sunday evening, we were looking at um, uh, 2 Timothy. Do you remember that if you were here? Uh, Whether or not he had depression, I don't know, but he was writing from prison, feeling pretty depressed, wasn't he? Feeling deserted by his friends, and yet he clung on to the promises of God. This is what he he wrote he wrote, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered. From the lion's mouth. And then as he remembers how the Lord helped him, and he continues with that, that final verse, he continues with confidence, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Sp- Remember moments of intimacy with God. Fourthly, speak to your inner self rather than allow it to speak to you. As we said earlier, there is this conversation going on between the psalmist and his soul. And in the refrain, the psalmist says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? What do we do about that inner voice when we hear that talking to us? Well, something that Lloyd-Jones emphasizes in his book, he says, don't allow that inner self to tell you what to do. Don't allow him to tell you that you are, are worthless or deceive you into thinking that God is not here or he doesn't care. And that's what the psalmist does here. He says, having asked himself, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why is so disturbed within me? He then tells himself, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Tell the inner voice what you know to be true. It's a fight. You know, Psalm 43 talks about deceitful and wicked men. It talks about the enemy. In Ephesians 6 and the New Testament, we are we that we're in a spiritual battle. How we constantly need to put on the full armor of God, to pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. Speak to your inner self rather than allow it to speak to you. In order to be able to do that, we need to know what to to say to our own self, which brings us on to the final point. Ask God for light and guidance. Verse 3 of uh, Psalm 43 says, Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. And that's a song we sang earlier on. A light of the world, you step down into darkness Darkness is the image used in the Bible to describe a world that that doesn't know God, who can't see God, stumbling along, trying to find its own way. A bit like you if you're a camper, when you have to go to the toilet in the middle of the night, you haven't got a torch, there's always a guy rope where you least expect it. Send me your light and your faithful care, let them lead me so I can see where I'm going. Where to? To your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. It's when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see the light of the gospel that we understand the truth that Jesus is the way to the Father. And by trusting in him, we can know God. We are saved. Our eternal future is secure. But the shining of that light isn't just a one-off event that happens when we're saved, like Paul on the road to, to Damascus. As believers, we we need that light to continue to shine in our lives. I'm writing to the church in Ephesus. Paul writes this. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. If you are in the midst of darkness right now, you may feel that the light that comes from Jesus is somehow faded, but like a torch whose battery is running out. We need to be continually reminded of the hope that we have, the riches of his glorious inheritance, his incomparably great power. And that is the, how the psalmist with um, this renewed uh, purpose and joy can say in verse 4 of Psalm 43, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O oh God, my God. The amazing thing that any tough, any tough time, whether it's depression or some other form of suffering, is that in the long run it actually helps us grow closer to God? Let me finish with a quote from the famous 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon, we saw earlier on the screen, who himself suffered from depression. Um, you know, by his own admission, he dreaded suffering; um, he'd rather avoid it at all costs. But and yet he said this as he looked back: he said, "I'm afraid that all the grace that I've ever that I've got of my comfortable and easy times and happy hours." might almost lie on a penny. But the good that I've received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. Affliction is the best bit of furniture in my house. It is the best book in a minister's library. We may feel isolated. We may feel powerless to do anything about our situation. But we have a God who knows about our individual situations, with all their complexities. And he loves us, and he wants us to know that love. Amen.